0: In today's episode of RT+, I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Herbst and Hannah Meekin, and we are going to take a first look. At The Treasury Review of Wholesale Markets. Now, uh, you'll be aware that the Treasury published a consultation paper on this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and there is quite a lot in there. So uh, in this podcast, we're not looking to cover off every single minute detail that's contained in that paper, but we are going to have a first stab at it. uh, And we will uh, come back to this again uh, in due course with another podcast. So do stay tuned uh, to regulationtomorrow.com for more information about that. But we did think it was necessary to at least have that first stab. So that's what we're going to do today. So, Jonathan, it's a pretty big paper, this one, isn't it, in the in the sort of broader context of, of Brexit divergence?
1: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I, I actually think it was a surprise to most of the market. And my comment is you know, significant in the, in the context that I think we were expecting some possible diversions, possible reforms, but this is much bigger than anything most people were expecting so it's a really important one to read it is a signal of the direction the uk is going in uh towards um a rather more qualitative regime giving more control to the markets and regulators and also removing aspects of the regime that from a policy perspective the treasury thinks uh do not work from the uk's perspective mm-hmm. so it's very much the sort of first
0: sort of rumblings of of, of divergence i suppose you could say so Um, I guess with that in mind, uh, let's sort of kick off with uh, the first of the topics. Now, just to sort of point out to our listeners, uh, today we're going to be, if you've had a look at the consultation paper, you'll notice that it's split uh, into various sections. And today we're going to be looking at the equity markets section. We're going to look at fixed income and derivatives, commodities markets, trading venues, systematic internalizers and market data. Um, And if we start with equity markets, uh, Jonathan... One of the big things in this section is uh, the proposals around uh, the double volume cap. So perhaps you could uh, illuminate uh, our listeners as to what uh, Treasury is proposing and, and what are the sort of implications
1: of that. Sure. Well, I, I, actually, I'd take this together with the securities trading obligation itself. A simple answer is they're planning to abolish both. Uh, essentially, I mean, if you look at history, the UK never really wanted either of these. Um, and effectively, they've said they don't think from a policy point of view it works for the UK. So the proposal simple. Remove the double volume cap. It doesn't help liquidity or transparency and uh, remove the securities trading obligation for the similar reasons. Uh, best execution is what counts. And if it's most efficient to that OTC, then so be it. I think that's the UK's approach. And to be fair, has been a longstanding policy approach of Treasury and FCA. So pretty, pretty
0: big, uh, sort of big proposals there. But as you say, uh, sort of quite simple, really, in in, in some respects. Um, if we move on to fixed income and derivatives, again, Jonathan, the Treasury has made some proposals in regards to the derivatives trading obligation, uh, and in particular, how it sort of sits alongside uh, the clearing obligation that's now in existence after the Emir refit. Um, what are your sort of views on that, or, or what what are, what are they proposing?
1: In that well, space. I mean, look, it's quite simple, and they, they they want to bring the DTO and the EMEA trading obligation into line. I think that's um, relatively uncontroversial; that seems to make sense. But you know, they more significant perhaps are some of the other points mentioned in the paper. In particular, giving the FCA more power to remove the um, derivatives trading obligation when they think it's appropriate from a policy perspective, and also certain of the other proposals. Perhaps we'll be coming on to.
0: Is it worth at this point just mentioning the uh, tot fee, uh, proposals that are, that are contained
1: in there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually one of the most important points because for those of us who've dealt with this for, for some years. Just to remind everybody, the great debate has been what does trading on a trading venue mean? That's the trigger for a derivative being in scope of all these obligations. And whilst with equities, it's been very clear or on fixed income, you know, you know, it's the same instruments traded on and off market for derivatives the great debate has been you know it, when is a look alike not a look alike when is a look like in scope anyway to cut to the chase their proposal is fairly simple which is effectively to say you know if you have a derivative instrument that is traded OTC or indeed off one of the markets that's in scope then it will not be treated as trading on a trading venue and they justify that for various policy reasons it's it's a it's i think it's been the UK view for a long time but whilst the UK was in the EU, and many listeners will be aware that there was sort of great debate out there and there were rumblings it was going to go the other way. I think this will close the discussion and create clarity for the market. So I think a lot of people will welcome it. Um, as I say, there's a wealth of other detail in, in this um, chapter, but I mean, those are a couple of the really high-level points. and so Perhaps we'll pick up the rest in, in a more detailed um, podcast. Sure, but uh, some possibly...
0: Cautious, quiet signs of optimism there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting from that, but that's, that's perhaps me being optimistic there. Um, thank you for that, Jonathan. Um, if we move on to commodities markets now, and and, and Hannah, you know, there's again uh, some, some, a bit of more sort of scope narrowing, if you like, um, and in particular, uh, the Treasury has has sought to narrow uh, the scope of commodity derivatives. Um, so. The question they ask in the paper actually is Do you think the scope of the commodity derivatives regime should be narrowed to derivatives that are based on physical commodities? I mean, what are your thoughts on this and what, what sort of change does that represent?
2: I think the proposed changes will be pretty welcome by the market, um, not just to stop treating exotics as commodity derivatives, but also securities that reference commodities. The thing I think that HM Treasury will need to be careful about is to ensure that the scope of the exclusions and exemptions remain sufficiently wide to cover all of the instruments, even if they're no longer treated as commodity derivatives. And of course, the other thing is that there are a number of pieces of legislation which link back to the MIFID II definition, and sometimes to the, the definition of commodity derivatives, so it will be important to make sure that they will still link up properly. Yeah. Jonathan was talking about uh, lookalikes, and there is a proposal also around uh, economically equivalent OTC derivatives and taking those out of scope as well. It's a little bit unclear to me at this stage exactly what that means, but if it is as wide as it appears uh, on the face of the proposal, then I think that would also be very welcome by the market. Um, And the other point to note on on scope um, is in relation to the ancillary activity exemption. because the proposal here is to revert to a principles-based and not just backward-looking exemption, and um, I think it will be important that the FCA does set some qualitative criteria to help firms uh, assess whether they can still fall within the scope of that exemption, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that anyone's going to miss the quantitative (laughs) test or the annual updating.
0: I see. No, you I think you're probably right on that. And um, you mentioned uh, the sort of responsibility of the FCA there. Another proposal um, in the paper is is looking to transfer the responsibility for uh, permission limits from the FCA to trading venues themselves. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, from discussions we've had with participants in the commodities markets over many years. Um, Uh, you know i've always got the impression that most participants think that the trading venues are best placed to set controls Mm. including where appropriate position limits so the proposal that control transfers to the exchanges but there's an obligation to set position limits for certain types of contracts and a framework for doing so feels like a bit like a compromise Mm. um, which perhaps doesn't entirely respect the expertise of the trading venues but equally i think there are some good reasons for maintaining some form of baseline um, including not least our international commitments and, um, and and indeed some degree of consistency so i think it, it might possibly make life a bit more complicated for those who are trading on the markets but hopefully the fact that the position limits will apply to a smaller number of contracts will will make it more manageable right, overall
0: i see so i mean there's quite sort of quite a lot to unpick there but what would you sort of say are the kind of key risks of, of, of that proposal and you mentioned the possibility of increased complexity there I mean is there anything else that that, that sort of comes out do you think as a, a big risk of moving that over to trading venues
2: um, I mean I, I think it it is the uh, con- consistency yeah. and the ability for those trading on the markets to be able to for example know where to find the position limits and to yeah. remember how they work because you, you know when the trading venues are in charge of position limits, they will be able to present them in, in different ways. And, you know, obviously participants that are trading on a number of different markets have got to manage their position limits across a number of different markets. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of keeping track of how exactly each different venues mm. limits work, you know, is potentially challenging itself. Sure. Um, but also I guess the, you know, the size of the different markets, um, we've got very big exchanges, which have you know, huge amounts of expertise in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it could be potentially a bit more difficult for the smaller trading venues to do
0: this. I see. That's very interesting. Um, well, let's move on to to trading venues themselves, uh, Hannah, uh, which is obviously another. Uh, section in the paper, um, the Treasury have actually asked. I mean, I may as well just, uh, you know, ask you this question uh, directly. Where do you think the regulatory perimeter for trading venues needs to be clarified? And I'm sure that you've had, you've got plenty of thoughts on this uh, as a regulator yourself. What, you, what, what would you say to that?
2: Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that we're really pleased to see this at the top of the list because we mm-hmm. really do think that the, the definitions that were introduced in MIFID 2 are very broad in scope, Mm -hmm. and although they haven't perhaps been implemented um, as broadly as they are set out on paper, um, that has really led to a bit of an unlevel playing field because different people have taken different interpretations about what what should be treated as an MTF or an OTF, Um, and uh, and, and that creates risk in itself. So there are probably a number of areas where clarification would be helpful including the two that the, that the FCA, sorry, that the government talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, so for technology firms and also for voice brokers. But I think there are a number of kind of more technical questions that are bound up in the, the kind of the answer to what should be in scope which include things like really getting to grips with what a multilateral system looks like and how do you know, not just what it looks like, but how do you know when you are operating one or, or indeed that leads on to how do you know where you're operating it from, um, which really does come down to the question of um, what, you know what is it about operating that is potentially different from arranging and other regulated activities. So I think clarification on those and indeed a number of other questions would be really welcome. Um, and I think that you know, that clarification could come through the form of either legislation or FCA guidance, because you know the latter is often enough for firms because yeah. it's usually very helpful.
0: Of course, um, I think let's just, uh, in the interest of time, let's move away um, from from trading venues for a moment. Back to you, Jonathan, and we're going to look at systematic internalizers now. There's probably the, the the big point here is is one that we've already alluded to, which is that uh, the definition. For SIs uh, should be based on qualitative, as opposed to quantitative criteria. What do you? I mean, you've you, you've alluded to this in the opening there, but do you have any further thoughts on this?
1: No, I mean, look, it it, it is what it is. They're basically going back to the Mifid one approach, and this is a general theme in this paper to not be in favour of some of the slightly stranger quantitative con- tests we've had the last few years, and that I think mm-hmm. is the main thing to say. And in in the same vein, they want to get rid of the. Um, uh, tick size provisions in relation to uh, SIs which were very controversial when they came in and uh, certainly SIs were extremely unhappy that would be a significant change and effectively rely on more general principles and best execution so so I think it's it's a general theme that they're running more qualitative mm. and more proportionate in the Treasury's eyes.
0: I see and and would you say the same applies for uh, the proposal for, for SIs to be determined at, at an entity level instead of uh, on an instrument by instrument basis for reporting um, would you say that was more i think more that's a right i'm a little yeah. less
1: clear whether that will be welcome in certain quarters because although mm-hmm. the instrument by instrument calculations were complicated it did allow entities to argue they were or were not an SI for a particular yeah. instrument so i think that remains to be seen we'll have to see what the consultation responses to that are
0: i see interesting
1: um,
0: the last section we're going to look at uh, on today's podcast is the section of market data and uh, Hannah, um, the government, or at least there's a proposal uh, for the development of a consolidated tape. Do you think or do you agree that the government should should take action to encourage the development of that?
2: I mean, I think what we can say is that if the UK wants a consolidated tape, then it, it does look like they're going to have to take some action to uh, facilitate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it needs to be as extreme as the public sector being involved in running a consolidated tape, which is one sure. of the two options, but certainly some form of legislative changes. Um, you know, perhaps along the line that, that government has suggested, um, you know, they do clearly touch on some of the existing issues and so that they might make a difference in terms of allowing a consolidated tape for certain types of instruments to develop. I think it's important to see how those changes would be implemented, especially in terms of whether they would result in changes to the definition of a consolidated tape. Mm or rather the obligations that would apply to a provider.
0: Thank you for that, Hannah. That's that's very interesting. Um, thank you very much, Hannah, and thank you very much uh, to Jonathan as well. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed that initial kind of first take at uh, the wholesale markets review. We will be back uh, on this with, with more detail as there is uh, so much more to cover. So uh, do stay tuned to regulationtomorrow.com and uh, we'll see you again soon.